You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. Best friend. Now, last week we looked at the beginning of John chapter 5, and it showed us that Jesus had authority over all sickness. Uh, he heals a man who had been sick for 38 years, just tells him to take up his bed and walk. Uh, and Jesus shows that he has authority over all sickness, but Jesus does this on the Sabbath day, which was a big deal in that culture. And so for Jesus to do on the Sabbath is a demonstration that he has power over all religious law. He ends up getting in this confrontation with the priests, the religious leaders of the Jews, and then he responds to them, and that's what we're going to be looking at today, and Jesus tells them how he has this authority. And so John chapter 5 is all about Jesus' authority. But before I talk to you about this chapter on authority, I feel like I should just be honest with you and upfront about the fact that I've not always done well with authority. Uh, when I said that in the first service, my father-in-law who was here said, Amen. Um, <laughs> So he was testifying to that fact. When I was in school, I really got myself into a lot of trouble. And I served a lot of time in detention and in suspension. They actually made up new forms of punishment for me uh, because I was constantly... They, they, they had never done this before, but I got in trouble on the last day of school. So they created a day after the last day of school of, of detention for me to come and serve. And so there are some rules on the books that that Christian school that I attended, I think, are just like the Daniel rule. They came up with them for me. And so I had parent-teacher conferences, I spent time in detention, I was suspended, my parents talked to me, and none of that challenged me. But there was a Sunday morning at our church that I attended with my parents, that I can remember I was just moved by the power and majesty, how great Jesus is. And that reoriented my heart in a way that no detention, suspension, talks with my dad, none of that could change. But recognizing Jesus' place of ultimate authority changed everything for me. And the reason that I was challenging this authority is because I could see imperfections in it. I could see some hypocrisy. I could see some things that they were doing wrong. And if I'm honest with you, I still kind of think maybe I was right about some of the stuff. Now, the Lord's dealt with my heart about my attitude and the way that I went about it, that I, I didn't have the right spirit in it. And so it isn't that I became convinced I was wrong. It wasn't that I, I finally submitted to the punishment. It was that God changed my heart. And I hope that today, as we look at John chapter 5, and we see this place of authority that Jesus has, that it'll rearrange some things in your heart, that you'll want to submit to Him, There'll be some area, some avenue, some thing in your life that you recognize that needs to come under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. Now, the reason that Jesus has this talk with them is because they're so upset that Jesus has, has he's kind of insinuated that he's equal with God. And what Jesus is going to do, he's going to say, you didn't understand me. I'm not saying that I'm equal with God. I'm saying that I am God. I'm not just equal with God. I am God. And that's what we're going to see in John 5, verses 19 uh, to 24. Then Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth. 
And he will show him greater works than these, that ye may marvel. And note that phrase there. We're going to come back to it. For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word, and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death to life. It's July 14th, which means that we are still in the thick of fireworks season in Chandler. Because in Chandler, we celebrate fireworks from Memorial Day to Labor Day. And, and we've even influenced Newburgh, because now Newburgh's doing their July 4th fireworks on August 31st. And so, congratulations, Chandler, you've had that influence on them. So here in Chandler, fireworks go off throughout the season. And you've probably went to some fireworks shows on July 4th, or you've watched your neighbors. And the thing that kind of distinguishes between the show that they can put on at the riverfront or at Scales Lake and what your neighbor can do is that your neighbor can shoot off one or two at a time, but they can't build momentum and have the grand finale like they can at a fireworks show. When they have that grand finale, you know that, man, that was was it. That was the final send-off. That was the big display. And after that... You go home and your neighbor's shooting off fireworks. It's not that impressive. And it gets kind of old when three weeks later they're still shooting them off. It gets old. And fireworks, this thing that we go ooh and ah at, this thing that we, we find interesting, that we stare up into the sky and watch, this thing that is spectacular and marvelous, it gets old. What I want you to see is that Jesus says there in that verse, He says at the end of verse 20, The Father's going to show greater and greater works that you may marvel. That you might marvel. And there is no shortage of what Christ is and can do for us to marvel at. I was back at the beach a week and a half ago, and and I used to live in Virginia Beach, spent a lot of time at the ocean, in the ocean. When I came over the dunes and saw the ocean, it was just once again kind of a fresh and a new, man, the ocean is big. And you feel this smallness in comparison to it. And no matter how many times you see the ocean, you still have that sense. And I've heard people say that about the Grand Canyon, that when you go and you look at it, you can go look at it from a different spot, and it just never gets old. It's just amazing how grand, how big it is. Friend, I want you to know that there is no shortage of, of stuff, of truth, of glory, of majesty. When it comes to Jesus, there's no shortage of uh, things for us to be marveling at. And and if you find yourself at a place in your Christian life where it's just kind of stale, where you're you're kind of losing the zeal, where it's not as impressive to you, you're not looking at Jesus, okay? Because our church can lose its power to impress you. Our church gets to a place where we're no longer going to impress you. Pastor Daniel can easily come to a place where I am no longer going to impress you. But Jesus will always give us reason to marvel and be amazed. That's what that word means, to be amazed at or to admire. And so if you're in a place right now where the Christian life seems stale to you, look at Jesus. Because there is nothing about Him that has a shortage of glory and majesty to marvel 
So Jesus is giving us this, this truth that there is this close union between He and the Father. And as the Father reveals greater and greater works, there'll be more and more to marvel at Jesus about because they are the same. Now we believe in the Trinity, the triune God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we see all three at work in this passage of Scripture and throughout the Gospel of John. We believe that God is three in one. He said, Pastor, I can't really understand that. I can't really, I can't really wrap my mind around that. Me too. And that's a good thing. Because if Jesus was easily defined by my finite mind, if he was easily understood by my finite mind, that would take the ocean down to a pond that I can see the other side of. That would take the Grand Canyon down to a crack in the sidewalk. Jesus is grander than my appreciation, my understanding, my imagination. He's greater than me. That's the reason there's constantly something for me to wonder at and marvel at because he is so beyond me. And so Jesus is saying here, I and the Father are one. And there's nothing that I, can't, I can do that I do not first see the Father doing. There's nothing the Father does that is outside. There's no disagreement. There's never a time that we're not on the same page. Now, he's made it clear that they're distinct, but they're in concert constantly. Last week, I mentioned to you that my wife and I, we've grown close. We've been married for 15 years. We've been together longer than that, but we have disagreements. Why? Because we're different people. God the Father and God the Son have never been at odds with one another. They've never failed. They've never been on, the, 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 on different pages. They've always been in agreement. And so what he's saying here, he's saying, we are one. And then to give us a demonstration of just how much the Father has placed in the hands of Jesus, he shows us two specific areas that God has placed authority in his hands. Look at verse 21 with me. In verse 21, he says, For as the Father raiseth up the dead, and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom He will. In other words, as God the Father has power over life and death, so does God the Son have power over life and death. And Jesus demonstrates that while He's here among us by raising people from the dead at will, and then raising Himself up from that. How does He do that? Because God the Father has placed all things in Jesus' hand. So the first example is over life and death. The second example is in verse 22. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto who? Unto the Son. So not only has God placed the power over life and death in the hands of Jesus, He has placed the power of all judgment in the hands of Jesus. Now, can you think of two more important things, two more authoritative things for God to place in the hands of Jesus than life and death and judgment? In every religion in the world that believes in a single Godhead, for Muslims, for Jews, for every religion that believes in a single Godhead, that believes that there is a God, they all believe that that God will one day judge us. That one day he will, he will determine what was right and wrong and what the punishment for that is. Jesus just said that God has put that in his hand. That God the Father has even taken his hands off of judgment because he has placed it in the hands of Jesus. And so Jesus has these two things in his hands. Power over life and death and judgment. And that's important. Let me show you why, okay? Are you familiar with a, with a Venn diagram? You know what a Venn diagram is? A Venn diagram is there are two things that are distinct, and then where they overlap, there's similarities. 
Okay, so I, I just did a Google image search for, search for a Venn diagram, and the, the first example that I saw was for dogs and cats. So let me show you a Venn diagram between dogs and cats, all right? So there are things that dogs and cats have in common, right? They both have four legs, right? They're both pets. Uh, they both can live indoors and outdoors. Um, but there are things that make them different, right? There are things that are true about cats that are not true about dogs, right? So cats are, are evil, and dogs are not, so that makes them a little distinct. Um, I'm, I'm highly allergic to cats. I'm not allergic to dogs. Um, cats go to the bathroom in a box in your house. Dogs don't do that, right? So there are some things that set them apart. Dogs, on the other hand, there are things that are true about dogs that are not true about cats. Um, dogs are loyal. Dogs will obey. Um, dogs are great. You know, so those are all things that are different from, from cats, Okay? But the things where they are the same, where they overlap, is, is the part in the middle. Okay? I want you to think about a Venn diagram of these two things that Jesus says that God the Father has placed in his hands. Life and death and judgment. Life and death and judgment. And because those two things together, God has given those into Jesus' hands, because Jesus has, has all power and all authority, because of those two things being in Jesus' hands, he can say what he says in verse 24. Look at verse 24, okay? Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, power over life and death, and shall not come into condemnation, judgment but is passed from death unto life. How can Jesus say that? How can he make such a bold claim? Because God the Father has placed all things in his hands, including power over life and death and judgment. And he can make the bold promise that if you believe in me, you'll have everlasting life and you will not come into condemnation. What did John say was the purpose of writing this book? That you may believe in the name of the Son of God, and that by believing in His name, you might have what? Life. How is it possible that we can have life by believing in Jesus? Because the Father has placed all things in His hands, even as it pertains to life and death and judgment. Now, this is important because it means that Jesus is effective, that He is able to give us life over death, to free us from the judgment and condemnation that we deserve, and also because... There's no one else that can provide this for us. Do you know that bureaucracy is just maddening? Bureaucracy is when you have to go through all the hoops, you have to jump through all the hoops. Bureaucracy, a good example of bureaucracy is the license branch. All right? You go to the license branch and like, you didn't bring this. You're like, I don't even know what that is. Sorry, we can't help you. Let me give you just a really good example of bureaucracy. Uh, We just had our picnic at the park uh, this past Sunday night. Had a great time. Went well. The way that we used to do that is we would reserve the picnic shelter at Boonville City Lake. The way to reserve the picnic shelter is you have to go to Boonville City Hall. You go to the back room where the lady who takes people's money for the water bill, she has this huge calendar that she'll write your name on if it hasn't already been taken. She said, this is the date I want. She says, okay, that's 4280. You can't expect her to make change. You need to bring change with you. Okay? Give her 4280. She writes your name down on a piece of paper. and She says, okay, this needs to be notarized. So you have to take that paper from the back of City Hall. You have to walk all the way out to the front of City Hall. You take it to person. You go up to the counter. You say, I need to have this notarized. They look at your driver's license. They watch you sign it. It's stamped with their seal. It's notarized. Now you take it back to the back room. I've got my thing notarized. Okay, here's your receipt. 
is now reserved for you. Like, can we just get these people in the same room? This lady doesn't have the power to do that. That lady doesn't have the power to do this. They don't have that authority. Now, something has changed recently where instead of just doing the, the, the picnic shelter, we do the splash pad. The splash pad is managed by Richard Spool. So now, for that, for that whole process, instead of going from one room to the other, you have to go to Richard's pool. You have to reserve the splash pad. You pay them the money. They give you the form. You drive over to City Hall. They notarize it. Then you drive it back to Richard's pool. And the people at Richard's pool just kind of look at you like, I'm sorry, but this is the, we can't, this is the way we have to do. This is the way it works. Because there are people in specific portions that have the authority or the control to do something. Jesus has control over it all. There's a reason that dictators are effective. Because they have authority over it all. We don't like dictators because a dictator can can use that power, that, that unlimited power, to hurt people, to take advantage of people. We are fortunate and that our God, our God has placed his power, he's placed the authority of life and death and judgment into the hands of Jesus, who is this gracious, loving, forgiving God. And there is nothing that limits his control, limits his power. There is no bureaucracy, there is no turf that he says, oh, I'm sorry, that's out of my jurisdiction. You have to take that form down to this office and they can help you out. Jesus is able to handle it all. He has the power over life and death and judgment. So this means that he's effective. It also means that he's Lord. You see, for Jesus to make these claims, we cannot look at Jesus and say, hey, Jesus is a pretty good guy, but I don't, I don't know that he's God. Because he just claimed to be God. He just said, no, I'm not just equal with God, I am God. You see, we cannot hold the the mentality or the idea, the mindset that Jesus is just a good moral teacher. Because there's only three options. Either Jesus is a liar, or he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. Either he's lying when he says these things and he doesn't have this power, or he's just crazy, he doesn't understand what he's saying, or he is the Lord. And if he is the Lord that has all of this authority and power, it changes everything. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. Now, Christianity, if false, is of no importance, and if true, of infinite importance. The one thing it cannot be is moderately important. The one thing it cannot be is... Mo- the one thing it can't be is something that we just kind of tack on to our lives. The one thing that it cannot be is just something that we kind of add on to what we're already doing. If he is who he says he is, he is the Lord. And if he is the Lord, that changes everything and every avenue, every area, every portion of our heart should come under his rule and reign. It is in his jurisdiction. So Jesus says, if this is, this is, this is who I am, and then he gives evidence, he makes his case. And I really, want, really quick want to show you the four witnesses that he calls uh, to give this. In verse 31, he says, If I only bear witness of myself, my testimony is not true. So let me show you some other witnesses. The first witness of these four witnesses that Jesus calls is the Holy Spirit. In verse 32, he says, There is another that beareth witness of me, and I know the witness which he witnesseth of me is true. Now, Jesus is just kind of alluding to the Holy Spirit. 
He's going to teach on the Holy Spirit at length in John 14, 15, and 16. I'm excited for us to go through that together. But he's alluding to the Holy Spirit who beareth witness of who he is. And and when we gather for worship, and I'll pray, and I'll pray, Lord, I I ask that your Spirit would work in hearts and minds. And I pray, Lord, as I speak and they hear my voice, may they hear you speak. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will convince you of His Lordship, that He is who He says that He is, and convict you of your sin. And if there's not something in your heart that has borne witness, that is is convincing you that He is Lord and Savior, if there's not something in your heart that has convicted you of your need of Him and your sin, there is something missing. He says, the Spirit has has borne witness of me. The second witness, witness He calls is John the Baptist. He says in verse 33, You sent to John... And he bear witness unto you the truth. Remember we looked at that. Jesus walks by and John says, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. And then in verse 34, Jesus kind of gives us a qualification on the testimony of John the Baptist. Verse 34, he says, But I received not testimony from man, but these things I say that you might be saved. And what he's saying there is, Jesus is not who he says he is because John said so. Jesus is who he says he is because he is. But he is giving us the testimony of John because that is convincing to us. What I have to say about Jesus doesn't make it true. It's true. But hopefully my bearing witness to you is convincing to you so that you might come to believe what is true, what is real. God is saying, Jesus is saying, I am above the testimony of man. But, John was a great witness. Verse 35, He was a burning and shining light, and you were willing for a season to rejoice in His light. You were willing to listen to Him for a while. When we, when we talk about someone sharing how God has worked in their story and made a difference in their lives, we call that their testimony because it bears witness to the work of God. And when you share what it is that God has done in your heart and life, it bears testimony of what God is doing. And there are people that they will not hear me preach, that they will not hear me speak, but they will hear you bear testimony. So when God does something in your life, don't keep that a secret. Be like John the Baptist. Be a bright and shining light. So he says the second witness is John the Baptist. The third witness are the miracles that Jesus performs. Verse 36, But I have greater witness than that of John, for the works which the Father have given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. He says, when I do these miracles, it is, a, it is a witness to the fact that I am who I say that I am. And there's a really important distinction I want you to get here. Jesus does these miracles, and they bear witness to who He is. But Jesus does not use His power to perform these miracles so that people go, wow, ooh, ah. Jesus is not performing these miracles because He has the power and He's just trying to Get everybody to be impressed. That's the reason we never read of Jesus using His miracles to just do something that would be cool. 
What did he use his miracles to do? To help people. It was always motivated by his compassion for those that were hurting, those that were sick, those that were hungry. And the miracles not only testified to his nature as God and his ability to do those miracles, but also to his heart and what he was compassionate about. Jesus did not come to receive validation. He came to do miracles that were a validation of who he is and what his heartbeat is, but he didn't come trying to impress people. And if you're honest, there's some things in your life that you do just because you're insecure and you want other people to validate you. Jesus didn't act out of insecurity. He didn't do his miracles so that people would be impressed with him. Jesus knew who he was. He wasn't questioning his validity. He didn't need John to testify it. He didn't need the people to be impressed by him. He came. He was who he was. And this is the evidence of it. Then lastly, the fourth witness is Scripture. Verse 39. Search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Jesus says, you have searched the Scriptures because you believe in them you will find eternal life. And the Scriptures teach us that God's Word is a source of life, but only if they connect us to Jesus. Hear this, okay? If you know all of the books, all of the stories of this book, but you don't know Jesus, you don't have life. If you know all the traditions of the Old Testament law, if you know all the stories of how God worked through people like Joseph and Moses and David and Joshua, if you know all that story, but you don't know Jesus, you do not have life. Jesus says, you search the Scriptures because you believe in the Scriptures you'll have life. You've come to worship the Scriptures, but the Scriptures point to me. Let's go back to why John wrote the Gospel of John. These things have been written that you might believe in the name of the Son of God and that believing you might have life. The Bible is all about Jesus. It's all about us coming to believe in Jesus, to believe that He is the Son of God, that God has placed all things in His hands, that He is the King, that He rules and He reigns, that He has authority over life and death and judgment, that only in Him do we have a snowball's chance. Only in Him do we have the ability, the opportunity to be forgiven. Only in Him is there grace. Only in Him. Not in us. Not in the church, not in our works, only in Him. And if what He says is true, it changes everything. And so He gives us the power of this truth, and He gives us four witnesses so that we might believe, and that believing, we might have life.